0: Welcome to The Global Workplace, Diversity, Equality, Opportunity. Your host is Alma Besserdin, the founder and director of Wimmigrants of Australia. In our program, we will showcase the global organizations who are making a difference worldwide for skilled migrants, as well as focus on some challenges the migrants face with diversity and inclusion. Now, here is your host, Alma Besserdin.
1: Hello, the listeners of The Global Workplace. I'm so excited today. I have uh, Dr. John Demartini as my guest. Hello, Dr. Demartini. I am a little bit nervous talking to you, but really, really excited to have somebody like yourself on my show. Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you, Alma. I appreciate it.
1: And uh, it was such a pleasure meeting you in person. After so many years attending uh, a lot of your programs, I met you uh, a couple of weeks ago here in Melbourne. and uh, that was really fantastic, so thank you so much for that. Um, I don't think you you really need any introduction because you are world-known specialist in human behavior, but just in case for a couple of people that perhaps um, haven't come across uh, your teachings, I will just give a little introduction about you, if that's okay. Certainly. Um, Dr. John DiMartini is a world-renowned specialist in human behavior researcher, author, and global educator. He has developed a series of solutions applicable across all markets, sectors, and age groups. His education curriculum ranges from corporate empowerment programs, financial empowerment strategies, self-development programs, relationship uh, solutions, and social transformation programs. His teachings start at the core of the issue addressing the human factor and range out a multitude of powerful tools uh, that have proven the test of time he has studied over 29000 books across all of defined academic academic disciplines and has synthesized the wisdom of ages which he shares on stage in over 60 countries his presentations whether keynote seminars or workshop leave clients with insights into their behaviors and Key to their empowerment. Dr. Di Martini has addressed public and professional audience up to 11,000 people at the time across the world and shared the stage with some of the world's most influential people, such as Sir Richard Branson, Stephen Covey, Wayne Dyer, Deep- Deepak Chopra, Donald Trump, and many more. From the thousands of testimonials he received annually, Dr. Di Martini's work changes people's lives forever. Wow, Dr. Dimartini, you changed my perception of values and behaviors. Um, and as I said, I've got most of your books. I, I think you wrote about nearly 50 books.
2: Yeah, I've been uh, been uh, tweaking away at books for since my early 20s. When I was 23, I started publishing books.
1: Oh, my goodness me. And uh, certainly... Um, one of your books changed uh, my perception of the values and, and uh, what is actually that is driving the core behaviors. And thanks to you, I've actually realized some of my patterns. And uh, today I'm really excited with the session uh, because I would really like other people to learn about uh, you know whether they are empowered or they are sabotaging themselves by the beliefs they have um, because they're very, very key to to our behaviour and our success. Um, You often talk about cultural adaptability when you speak in different cultures and countries around the world. It is clear that people must adapt and adjust when they move to another country, and uh, the the show The Global Workplace is about diversity and um, multiculturalism, and I'm really passionate through Immigrants and the work that I've started uh, two years ago To empower migrant people like myself who come in a new country to be really successful. So could you please advise um, and and give some advice using your context of adaptability how they can actually adjust in a new country?
2: That's a good question and I've been faced with that as I've traveled. Um, Every individual has a unique set of values, set of priorities things that are most important to least important in their life and they filter their reality according to these values. Their Mm. perceptions, their decisions and their actions are a result of what they do in their values. Now a culture, which is a collective of individuals also has uh, a body of people with values and there's trends inside those values based on the leaders of those countries that mm-hmm. influence, that give rise to traditions and conventions and, and ideologies that that culture live by. Uh, for instance, when I was in Mexico, you very very strongly see a family integration. Family mm-hmm. is important in, in, in most of the things that they do. They do things as a family. Uh, in America, you don't see this as strongly, but you see it, but not as strongly as something like Latin America and Mexico. Mm. And uh, so different cultures have different value structures. And if you really want to care about somebody, uh, if you take the time to communicate what you want to share in terms of their values, they become more receptive. Mm. I was recently in Kuwait, speaking to Kuwait there, partly to royal families and also entrepreneurs there, Mm. uh, was given... 39 things about Kuwait in advance about the culture of Kuwait and the people of Kuwait. And uh, this was very helpful to study it, to see how their values and what their needs and what their focus is, how it serves me. So I can care enough about them to communicate the message I want to share in terms of their values, honoring their values. That doesn't mean that I uh, minimize my own. It just Mm -hmm. means master the skill of communicating what I want to share. That's important to me in terms of what their values are, what's important to them. This is called caring about somebody. You do this with individuals, but you can do this in groups. When I was in Tehran, the same way. When I was in uh, Munich, uh, Germany, the same way. Every country I go to, um, I found that this is helpful. In Vietnam recently, I did the same. Mm -hmm. So caring enough about the individuals, individual or culture to find out what their dominant value structure is and ideologies and things that they believe in, finding out how it serves you as an individual can increase the probability of you effectively caring and communicating in a way where your ideas can be incorporated into the culture. And at the same time you can incorporate into your life, the value of their cultural ideas too. So you can have an integration of culture, which helps, uh, the communication process and also the exchange and transaction process culturally and economically.
1: So what I'm hearing is is from you is people who come to new country to live and, and as a professional migrants or, or any other ways to live in a different culture, they should actually learn the, the the values of that culture without compromising their own. But on the other hand, the the country Needs to actually learn the cultures of these people, so it goes both ways, isn't it? And doesn't mean, uh, yes, we
2: have you, you're right now in Melbourne, Australia, and Melbourne is a melting pot of many cultures. And what's very common is the cultures tend to move around in the in the in their city where they live together. So, the you see Italians living and Greeks living in different groups, Mm. same time, there's also areas where they're inner they're interconnected in one area, so they're not into clusters. And Mm. so that means that they have to interface with not people who are actually in their own culture, but actually interface with many cultures. Mm. And and if you don't know what that value structure is, and you don't ask how specifically is that value structure serving you, you're gonna tend to resist it, you're gonna tend to wanna autocratically talk over it and change and fix people and avoid people for their own culture. And this causes an alienation and it causes a compartmentation, compartmentalization of people living in the city because they're not able to appreciate each other for their uniqueness. And this is the key. When no two people have the same set of values, no two cultures have exactly the same. And every culture has its competitive advantage based on its most important values. So you want to basically take the time to care enough about the people to know what their what their needs are. So before I go to a country, I get on Google and I start researching and find out the history of the culture, find out what made the people, how did the how did it come about, what's important to the people, and try to incorporate that in my presentations. And if I do, I'm they're more receptive to what I have to say. I accomplish what I want. And it doesn't take a tremendous amount of work, but it takes a moment to find out how what they're dedicated to serves me. And I find that I learned something from every culture I go to. I learned things. You know, when I'm in Japan, and I see that they're very, uh, even the taxi drivers have, you know, beautiful, clean, uh, very respectful cars, and there's very, uh, there's a very high value on recycling and cleanliness and, and order, and that's something that I think, you know, worldwide, many countries can benefit by, but I also understand that some of the things that I might have from the United States uh, can make them more entrepreneurial and less uh, uh cultural in their decision making. So there's a a two way street and you don't want to make one right or one wrong. They both Mm -hmm. have a contribution and you want to learn from each side and try Mm -hmm. to find a way of integrating that. Uh, Otherwise you just alienate and you undermine the communication.
1: Mm. That that, uh, probably leads me in my next question about leadership. Um, And I know you teach a lot about the leadership uh, within the organizations. in today's global world, everyone talks about authentic leadership and embracing innovation and diversity in the workplace. And having millenniums that are very different and bringing very different mindset into the world, also having a gender equality groups and minorities and skilled migrants and so on, bring these complexities. And I think we probably have the most complex diverse expectations that we ever had. What advice would you give to leaders to manage this complexity from diversity point of view?
2: Well, regardless what culture and what country, and, uh, I found that when you and you're heartful and you're inspired, there's a natural biological openness to people of every culture. Mm. So I found that if, if I'm uh, with my heart, uh, you know, open, you might say, and being just myself and not trying to put on any facades, not trying to talk down to anybody or talk up to You know, if you talk down to people, you're careless. If you mm. talk up to people, you're careful. But if you talk as equity partners, people in equilibrium, you're caring, and this is uh, the key. That's the one that opens the heart. And I found that every human being wants to live authentically. So if you're living authentically and sharing an in, in a truly important message and, and not try to put on any facades, people are naturally, re, you know, re, when you're a leader, uh, the idea of charisma is not so much inside inherently in the, in the leader itself. It's when the leader communicates what they have to offer in terms of the people's needs and values and cares to meet those needs, the people feel, feel that they are magnetic and charismatic, and they're drawn to want to learn from that leader or be guided by that leader. So it's, it goes back to caring, it goes back to the same, and um, it's being authentic. And, and mm-hmm. it's being able to know that in a culture, there are complementary opposite values and so you have to speak to both sides and not be completely rigid on one side. You have to be resilient mm-hmm. yourself if you want the people to be receptive to you.
1: They say the the most uh, um, required skill in a 21st century in leadership is actually compassion. And um, what you're saying it's, it's really—it's about,
2: about caring. About compassion, sometimes um, can can be useful. You know, if they're, if they're an individual, a group that have been wounded by experience, war or conflict or whatever, and you can identify with what they're going through, they can they be receptive to you. Mm. But I think it's about caring. Because sometimes uh, compassion is assuming that there's a wound out there that you're having to meet with sympathy. and Because passion means to suffer. suffer or come, and so I, I'm a believer in caring. Yes. More more than just compassion, although compassion has its place. But I really mm. believe that you need to care enough to listen to the people you're speaking to, the people you're interacting with, or the people you're doing transactions with, and really getting to know what they want, because if you help them get what they want, they'll turn around and help you get what you want.
1: Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Martini. We will just take a break, and after break, we will continue on this uh, amazing topic. So stay with us. We'll come back shortly.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Wimmigrants of Australia is a unique organization helping skilled immigrants, in particular women, to establish careers and integrate in a new country. For individuals, we offer coaching and mentoring programs. For organizations, we help create diverse and engaging culture, offer talent placement, career transitions, diversity strategy, and inclusive leadership development. We are also available for speaking and consulting engagements. Visit wimmigrants.com.au for more information. That's wimmigrants.com.au. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. You are listening to Global Workplace with Alma Besserton. To reach the show, please call into our toll-free lines in North America, 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Elma at wimmigrants.com.au. Now, back to The Global Workplace.
1: Welcome back our listeners. Uh, I am really really excited today. I've got Dr. Dimartini as uh, my guest and um, we are talking about how empowering or sabotaging beliefs can actually really um, uh, really make it or break it in life and make you successful or unsuccessful. Before the break we talked about uh, authentic leadership and uh, Dr. Dimartini, Significant part of your breakthrough programs helps individuals um, as well as organizations determine their values and beliefs. And I love what you say that how can you value be authentic and love yourself if you don't know yourself? Is this a reason why some individuals end up in a wrong company or relationship in general? Yes. Many
3: people subordinate to the world around them and inject the values of others into their life and try to live in the shadows of others instead of stand on top of the shoulders of giants that they're, Mm -hmm. they're trying to fit in and they losing part of themselves instead of standing out and mastering the art of communicating what they value in terms of other people's values, as I just mentioned, as a leader. So instead of subordinating and minimizing yourself, and others and trying to live vicariously through other people's lives, it's wise to stand authentically in your own highest priorities and master the skill of taking what you value and communicating it effectively in the values of other people. Now, this is an art, but, you know, when you're selling to people, you have to care enough about the person you're selling to uh, to meet their needs with your product, service, or idea. Well, all of us are involved in sales, We're selling ideas to our children. We're selling ourselves to our spouse. We're selling ideas to our customers and employees and our social life. And it means to have a dialogue, not an alternating monologue. And a dialogue Mm. depends on an equity between the values of the person you're communicating with and yourself. Not one greater or lesser than the other, but having equanimity, an equity exchange, Mm. a transaction that's fair to both parties. This creates a sustainable relationship and allows both people to walk away feeling enriched and inspired by the, the interaction. And this is the key to any relationship.
1: That, that's a such a good point. And I remember uh, in February here when you were in Melbourne, you were talking about that sometimes even uh, you know, our parents can influence the values and behaviors that actually might not work for us. And uh, I see that certainly when I coach um, individuals who come from different cultures um, here in in Australia, they they don't even realize that they need to perhaps reflect on these values and cultures and and see what's working for them and what they need to adjust. So I guess the question is, how do we know what's working for us and what doesn't?
3: Well, I have developed a series of questions to help make as objective as possible the determination of a human value structure. So what I do is I look at people and how they fill their space, because things that are really valuable to them, they keep around them. And things Mm -hmm. that are not valuable, they push away. Mm -hmm. I also look at how they spend their time. They make time for things that are valuable, they run out of time for things that aren't. I look at how what energizes them, When they're doing something that's valuable to them, they have more energy at the end, than when they started, and they're doing something Mm -hmm. that is low-values, they're drained. Then I look at how they spend their money. They make money, find money, and spend money on things that are valuable, and they don't have money and don't want to spend money on things that aren't. Then Mm -hmm. I look at where they're most ordered and organized. You tend to bring order to things you value, and you don't want to get around to putting energy into things that aren't valuable. Then I look at where you're disciplined. You're automatically spontaneously disciplined from within on things that are valuable, and you're undisciplined on things that aren't. Then I look at what you think about, what you visualize, and what you internally talk to yourself about, about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence of coming true. If there's no evidence Mm -hmm. of it, it's probably fantasy. But if it's evidence of coming true, that means it must be really important to you to pursue and to make decisions and take, take actions to achieve it. Then I look at what you converse with other people about most. People want to talk about things that are valuable to them. If they value their children, they want to talk about their children. If they value their business, they want to talk about their business. Then I look at what inspires them and what's common to the people who inspire them. I then look at what are the most consistent, persistent goals that they are achieving in their life. to look at what's a common thread. And then I look at what they love to study, read, and learn about most. If I go through Mm -hmm. these 13 value determinants, it gives me a more insight and more objective view of what their life demonstrates is important to them. Many people, if you ask them what their values are, they'll tell you social cliches, they'll tell you what their mother and father and their preacher and teacher and their social herd around them is imposed as an ideology. But what's Mm -hmm. true is what their life demonstrates. Your actions speak louder than words, and I'm interested in what their life demonstrates through their actions, more so than anything, to determine what their real values are, so they can start to set goals that are aligned and congruent with what they value most. And many people are unconscious of what they are, assume they know, and keep pursuing things that aren't really sustainable, Mm. and then they give up on them, and they don't stay focused and build momentum in a great achievement.
1: That that is so true, and... uh... Thanks to you, I've actually stopped comparing myself with others many, many years ago when I, th- through your teachings and through your books, because I think we, as humans, um, often compare others, uh, you know, we, or, or us with us, others in terms of how money they've got, what, what success means uh, for them, and we try to actually have that definition for us as success. And I've stopped that uh, probably uh, 12 years ago when I came across uh, your teachings and your books because it's very destructive. And I really love uh, when, when you say, don't, don't compare yourself with others, compare yourself only with your actions. C- can you tell us a little bit more about that?
3: Well, uh, if we try to envy other people and imitate other people, we lose ourselves. Einstein mm. said it beautifully. He said, if you're a cat... And you compare yourself to a fish, you'll beat yourself up because you can't swim very well. And if yes. you're a fish and you compare yourself to a cat, you'll beat yourself up because you can't climb very well. But mm. if you're a fish and you compare yourself to your own dreams of being swimming, you'll do excel. You'll excel and you'll be great at it. The magnificence mm. of who you are is far greater than any fantasies uh, or other people's values you'll inject into your life. So you don't want to try to be somebody else. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. We're not here to be yes. somebody else. We're here to be ourselves. Vote mm. Magazine interviewed me a few years ago, and they, wanted to, they asked me a very interesting question. Dr. DeMartin, if there's anybody in the world that you could be, who would you want to be? And I looked mm. at them with a funny look on my face, and I said, why would I want to be anybody but me? And they said, oh, well, you're the only brilliant. person that ever answered it that way. And I said, well, I have mm. no desire to be anybody but me. So I'm mm. the guy that I would love to be. And they were they were puzzled by that. They weren't expecting that. And I thought, well, that's so common no. sense. Mm. But most people have this fantasy of being somebody else. I, I'm not interested in being somebody else. I'm interested in being the best me. Why would I be, want to be second of somebody else when I can be first at being me?
1: I think that's brilliant. And, and I just love that because that, that's exactly... That that is so true, but I think with the television and uh, and the influence from the commercial side and and, uh, you know, there are certain expectations to be someone else and uh, uh, as I said, thanks to you and your teachings, I am myself now and and I don't have problem being myself because I realize Nobody can be me and I can't be anyone else and I just absolutely love that Um, Dr. Di Martini you work with organizations in clarifying their vision and purpose and aligning their goals. And um, These days, lots of companies focus on the bottom line and the short-term goals. Um, it's a fast-paced economy and technology is changing really fast. Uh, what is your perspective on that and uh, implication on effect on individuals and the companies, I guess, in the business?
3: Well, I always say that immediate gratification costs in the long run and long-term vision pays, even in the short run. So I'm a firm believer that uh, that when people go to work, they don't go to work for a company. They go to work to fulfill mm. what they value most. If they can see that the job description that they're engaged in, that they're going to be a participant or responsible for, can help them fulfill what they value most, they become engaged, they become productive, they become inspired And they don't want to just take breaks and get away. They want Mm. to work and produce and serve. And they want Mm. to tackle with innovation and and, uh, tackle the challenges. But if they're not engaged, they're uninspired, and they're going to want to escape. And the same thing, if they can see how the mission and vision and primary objectives of the company can help them fulfill their highest values, again, they're engaged, and they want to be part of it. and They want to work within the company towards a goal. But many mm-hmm. people are getting a job for immediate gratification quickly make some money to survive yeah. instead of actually prioritizing what they really want to do and make sure that they get into a company that allows them to be engaged. So I go into companies and I help screen people according to what their values are or inspire teams according to their values so they can see how their job descriptions are helping them fulfill their values and increase productivity and engagement. So it's mm-hmm. very crucial because... The level of productivity goes up when people feel engaged and they can see how what they're doing is fulfilling what they value. And nobody goes to work, as I said, for a company. They go to work to fulfill their values. Nobody's Mm. doing anything unless they're going to fulfill their values. They won't sustain it. So companies deserve to have as much engagement, as much value alignment as possible. And that means that the leaders need to know what their values are. And they didn't know Mm -hmm. what the primary objectives and clear description of jobs, and they need to hire people that match and have values that will be fulfilled doing those jobs and be very selective so they don't put round pegs in square holes. And that Mm -hmm. way everybody is more productive, more inspired, and there's more appreciation. Peter Lynch said it really well when he was buying stock and selecting stocks. He says, after I do my technical and functional analysis – The the very first thing I do is I go to the location and I look for people who are loving what they do, are inspired by the vision, are grateful for their job, and are basically enthused about their work. When I see Mm. that, I know a company is going to be going up in value and I can buy the stock.
1: That that is very interesting. I've read uh, recently some stats where they're saying that, um, particularly in Australia, that the mental health is becoming a real issue in organizations, Dr. DiMartini. Uh, because people are actually having more and more depression. And, uh, you know, it, it, without actually understanding and al- analyzing each company, but it seems to me that a lot of people are stuck in their jobs because they feel they don't have uh, other options. They feel they just need to have the job, but they are really not pursuing what makes them happy. And it's becoming a real challenge at the workplace these days.
3: Yeah, well, in, in, uh, anybody who takes on a career or a job that is not fulfilling uh, is hindering their own health psychologically mm. and physiologically mm-hmm. and also weighing down and, weight and being weight in the company. I was mm-hmm. speaking to IBM Corporation a number of years ago, and I got up on stage, there were 400 people there, and I asked, how many of you can't wait to get up in the morning and work for one of the greatest companies in the world, IBM? And I was mm-hmm. expecting a lot of hands to go up, only one hand went up in the whole room. I was wow. Shocked. And, I, and I was just absolutely shocked, and it was the regional manager who had the hand up. He was the only one. And I, I, got, wow. I thought that my mic wasn't working, so I said it again. I said, how many of you can't wait to get up in the morning and work for one of the greatest companies in the world, IBM? And nobody put their hand up except that guy. And he was in the mm. front, and he turned around, and he saw that nobody had their hand up, and nobody could look him oh in the face. Oh,
0: my goodness.
3: And I, I changed the title of my talk that day Because I realized that the problems that they were asking me to speak about wasn't the real issue. And I basically went in there and I said, Well, today, you're going to make a decision. You're going to either be here or you're going to move on. Because you're not helping yourself, your health, and you're not helping the company if your heart's not here. Because if there's no inspiration, there's no gratitude, there's no love for what you're doing, there's no enthusiasm in here, you're hurting the company. Well, we transformed that company that day. We had people who were not inspired give their notice. And the people that were inspired, they got on track and the productivity went up. And it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And they were considering laying people off. And the names that they were considering laying off are the people that walked out.
1: <laughs> wow! And they saved That's on outplacement
3: because the people gave their notice without having to be told to leave. And it actually saved them money. And then they went into a hiring spurt, hiring new people that were more engaged and inspired and the productivity went up. So it's very crucial to make sure you're not settling for less than what you want in life, because if you do, mm-hmm. you'll be depressed, because you're you're basically not living authentically. And any time you expect yourself to live outside your values, you're going to self-depreciate.
1: That that is so true. Because I've done a lot of business transformation uh, in Australia in uh, lots of medium and large companies, and I I certainly face that. Often they they actually people who are. Staying are the people that really don't want to stay and people who actually can get a job they, they get a packages and they leave And so the company is often um, Faced with this uh, a challenge where the people that they want to actually leave they they are staying and the people really who uh, Want to be inspired by what they do they go and it's a it's a constant battle uh, At least here in australian market that I observed and it's really interesting um I often say to people and have this conversation, I say to them, why are you here if you're not happy? And they, they think they don't have choice. They say, oh, I've been in this organization for 10, 15 years, and I don't have even interviewing skills. And I often say to them, but you can learn them. All business skills can be learnable. And and they get stuck. And, and I really love what you just said about IBM, Dr. De Martini, because I think that should be approach every organization takes and really have open conversations with people because why would you keep someone who doesn't really want to be there?
3: Well, if their um, heart and soul not there, we've all walked into correct. a department store or a restaurant where their heart's not there and mm. we can feel that and we don't want to refer and we don't want to come back and it hurts the business right. when people aren't engaged.
1: That's right. Thank you so much. We'll just take a short break again we'll be back, Dr. Dimartini. Uh, stay with us. We'll come back very shortly.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Wimigrants of Australia is a unique organization helping skilled immigrants, in particular women, to establish careers and integrate in a new country. For individuals, we offer coaching and mentoring programs. For organizations, we help create diverse and engaging culture, offer talent placement career transitions, diversity strategy, and inclusive leadership development. We are also available for speaking and consulting engagements. Visit wimmigrants.com.au for more information. That's wimmigrants.com.au.
2: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN, CIO Talk Network.
0: At voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on demand access to past events that you may have missed, by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Global Workplace with Alma Besserton. To reach the show, please call into our toll free lines in North America 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to elma at wimmigrants.com.au. Now, back to the Global Workplace.
1: Thank you very much for coming back. Uh, this is Alma Besseling at the Global Workplace. I am really thrilled and excited uh, to have Dr. Di Martini as my guest. We were talking about uh, leadership and empowering and sabotaging beliefs. Um, Dr. Di Martini, some people hit the wall with uh, so many challenges and they give up so soon and throw in the towel. You said "Be master of persistence means embracing both support and challenge in the pursuit of your vision. What advice would you give to someone who uh, would say that they don't have persistence to pursue their goals?
3: When somebody says that I don't have the determination to pursue the goals, the goals they're setting aren't really theirs. They're setting up right. something that they've injected from outside sources. When you, Because you have a hierarchy of values – when you set a goal that is aligned and congruent with your highest values, you'll embrace pain and pleasure in the pursuit of it. You will mm. pursue it because you actually embrace it, the challenges in the pursuit. You have a young boy mm. who loves video games. The second he conquers the video game he's playing, he wants to go to a more advanced and challenging more challenging video game. So one mm. of the signs of living congruently with your highest values is you pursue challenges that inspire you. But if you're doing goals Mm. that are not aligned with your highest values, but you think they are, but they're actually not, and you're uninspired by them, and you keep procrastinating, and you keep hesitating, and you keep distracting yourself from it, you can't stay focused on it, the second it gets challenging and difficult, you want to give up. Because the lower Mm. brain area, when you're living by your lower values, you activate a lower brain area that's involved in avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. And so if it's Mm. easy, you'll do it. But if it's not, you'll give up. So when somebody Mm. says to me, I keep giving up, I keep not staying focused on what it is that I say I want, I'm absolutely certain that what they're wanting isn't really what they want. They have something higher in their priority that they're unconscious of. And it's important Mm. to find out what their real values are and set sail as captain of their ship and master their fate in their highest value instead of keep pursuing things that they think are important based on the injected values of outer authorities that they've subordinated to. And give themselves permission to do something that's really meaningful. Because if you're doing something that's really meaningful, you don't give up on it. You just don't mm. give up. It's too important to give up on.
1: It was really interesting point uh, when you were here in Melbourne on, on 5th of February. Somebody asked the question, how do you define the purpose? And you used the example of, uh, I think, lady from London that actually didn't know what her purpose was. Um, can you just uh, articulate a little bit more, if, if people say, I don't know what my purpose is, how they can actually determine what their purpose is?
3: Well, your highest value, the very highest value you have, the ancient Greeks called the telos. And the study mm-hmm. of the telos was called teleology. And teleology is the study of meaning and purpose. So one's highest value is the very core of their purpose, The purpose Mm. is what it is that's most fulfilling and most meaningful and most inspiring that they can pursue. So it's your highest Mm. value. Your life evolves Mm. around it ontologically. It goes and pursues it teleologically. And it's what you have the area of most specialized knowledge in epistemologically. So your Mm. highest value is the most important thing to know in your life. It is what your core existence is. If your highest value is raising children you will identify yourself as a mother. If your highest value is being an entrepreneur or running businesses, you'll identify yourself as an entrepreneur. If your highest value is music, you'll identify yourself as a musician. Your identity Mm -hmm. revolves around your highest value, and this is the area that you have the greatest power and potential to go into excellence and a great achievement. So knowing what your highest value is is the key to defining what your highest purpose is, and with a lady in London, I asked her, what is it you do every single day that nobody ever has to remind you to do that you intrinsically are driven to do that inspires you and that you love doing?
0: Mm. And she mm. said,
3: well, I love being with my family and children, my kids. But I said, well, you, your life demonstrates kids. You spend your time on it, your energy on it. This is what your focus is. But you're comparing yourself to other people, other women, mm-hmm. that have values on business. And therefore, she was thinking that my focus on raising a family is not good enough. And therefore, she wasn't honoring what she really was committed to. But her life mm-hmm. demonstrates her values. Her life demonstrated that she was a mother dedicated to raising beautiful children. And I finally gave her, told her to give herself permission to do that way. And she cried with mm-hmm. appreciation and said, she says, I've always wanted to do that. That's all I've ever wanted to do. But finally, I can feel that it's good enough. I've always been comparing myself to other people thinking it should be or ought to be or supposed to be or got to be or have to be something else. But the truth mm-hmm. is the way it is and what it is, is meaningful enough. That's the path.
1: And and that is so interesting because I've heard that so many times where, where people compare themselves and they get really clouded. Uh, a vision of who they are and, and they try to be someone else and, and that example was such a good example Dr. Dimartini because um, even through my coaching uh, when, when I coach in particular women they often actually project into something else which is very external and they compare themselves and they can't actually even see who they are and you know the, the sad part is, I mean, she's lucky that she came to your your session. So now she actually is clear what her purpose is. But often, uh, you know, a lot of people don't come to session like yours, or don't have the opportunity to be coached by someone, and they live their life basically projected into, uh, uh, you know, having a purpose for someone else. And I think that's a really sad part.
3: Well, like I said, the majority of people don't give themselves permission to be themselves, as you as you just mm-hmm. said and that's Mm. because they keep comparing themselves. If Mm. you fill your day with the highest priority actions every day, it won't fill up with low-priority distractions. If you empower Mm. your life, other people won't overpower you. If you learn to say no to other people that are basically opportunists and projectionist, then all of a sudden you'll say yes to what you dream. But just know Mm. that the responsibility you have fulfilling what's important to you is the art of communicating the value of what you're dedicated to in terms of other people. Not subordinating Mm. to other people and losing yourself, but communicating what you're dedicated to in terms of other people's values.
1: So Mm. that way you
3: serve other people being yourself and reward yourself by that service and therefore get rewarded to be yourself. This is the mastery of life.
1: Mm. I really love also what you said last time here in Melbourne, and I've heard that before. Uh, don't see yourself above anyone else or below anyone else. See yourself the same and equal to to others. Um, could you uh, elaborate a little bit more on that one?
3: Yeah, if you, get, uh, if you get self-righteous and puff yourself up and inflate yourself with pride, you wake up a narcissistic energy that makes you project your values onto other people and expect them to live in your values. If you do mm. that, in the if you're an entrepreneur and you do that with a customer or the employees, they're not going to want to work with you, and the customers aren't going to buy your service until you're humbled. So pride before mm. the fall occurs to humble you. At the same time, mm. if you minimize yourself and sacrifice for your customers and your employees, you'll have cacophony and disorder, and you'll actually have no mm. profits. And be it both mm. of those polarities of exaggerating or minimizing with pride or shame undermines fair, sustainable transactions. But if you have now equity between you and them and equanimity within yourself, where well, you're neither proud nor ashamed, you're not above or below, you're just being yourself and you're authentic, you'll care equally about yourself and the other people, and you'll find mm-hmm. a sustainable exchange. When you do a service and they, and they pay exactly what you want and they get exactly what they want, you have sustainable fair exchange and you're more likely to continue doing business. But if you're narcissistically mm. expecting something for nothing or you're altruistically trying to give something for nothing, neither are, are sustainable and they backfire. So that's why mm. equity theory underlies one of the most efficient pathways for transactions.
1: Yeah, that, that's a, such an interesting um, a, a thought. Um, Dr. DiMartini, I love your expression uh, when you say, when you see the genius in other, you have the power to awaken them to it. I've noticed that number of skilled migrants in different cultures don't have confidence to express themselves um, in work settings. Um, they, they're they often in a jobs below their capabilities and often actually leaders within companies, they don't understand who these people are. They don't use their skills to their full full potential. What advice um, could you give to leaders to understand and empower their staff from different cultural backgrounds to bring the best out of them?
3: Well, again, the person, uh, every individual is dedicated to the fulfillment and committed to the fulfillment of their highest value. And whatever that highest value is, when you hire them, that's what they're dedicated to. If you hire somebody and their highest value is raising children, and all of a sudden their children are sick, they're going to go home and and stop work to go home to take care of their children. If their highest Mm -hmm. value is business, they're going to call home and tell their kids to take an aspirin and wait till they get home. Their values Mm -hmm. are going to determine their behavior. So when you're hiring somebody, the the selection process is an art. And you don't want to Mm -hmm. hire somebody who's not going to be inspired working in the team and working doing that particular job responsibility. So caring Mm -hmm. enough about people to make sure that you put the people who are able to do what they love in there gives everybody a win. The company wins, Mm -hmm. the person wins, the customer, the employees, everybody wins. Vendors.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: So taking the time to care enough about people, your customers and employees, to make sure you're meeting their needs and their values and knowing what those values are before you hire them and before you try to sell to them You know, sell is not to tell, it's to ask questions to establish real values and needs. And that's Mm -hmm. the same thing. When you're selling an opportunity to work in a company, that's a selling process. You're selling Mm -hmm. your job opportunity to somebody who wants to buy that and get paid for that. Well, the thing is, if they don't know themselves, they don't know what their values are, and you're not communicating in their values, you have a poor transaction that reflects poor management skills and is going to cost the company. So care enough mm. about the people. I, I, I say when you really have a, a powerful team, it's because somebody cared about the people.
1: Mm. There was another thing. This uh, it's, it's very interesting uh, that you talk about its delegation and talking about the leadership. i often seen and worked for some who were complete control freaks and they don't delegate. And um, also when you start uh, your own business, you often think you are the only one who knows how to to do things. Um, And you talk about the delegation. Why delegation is so important?
3: Well, if you're not delegating, you're automatically filling your day with things that devalue you. It's essential Mm -hmm. to delegate. When I first opened up my practice in 1982, I did a little of everything, and I was majoring in minors and minoring in majors. And Mm -hmm. I basically read the book The Time Trap by Ellen McKinsey, and I went and made a list of everything I did in a day. And next to that list, I wrote down how much does it produce per hour and extrapolated mm. to the best of my ability. Then how much meaning does it offer? Then how much would it cost to replace somebody to do that activity through delegation? And how much time was spent? When I got mm. through with all the data and went through all 39 of the, d- the job responsibilities that I had in a day, I realized that the most important things that I was doing, I was spending too little time on
1: and mm. I basically
3: restructured things, prioritized things, and started hiring people and t- making sure that I got people that really wanted to do that. So otherwise I don't ha- otherwise I have to micromanage them and push them all the time. You don't mm. have to push people uphill. That's a sign they're not engaged. So I made yes. sure that I got people slowly but surely, how to delegate it, let it go, and it freed me up to earn more income, to help the economy, to be more inspired, because when I can't wait to go and do what I get to love to do, people can't wait to get mm. the service. And then I employed more people, and I extracted more surplus labor value out of their work, because everybody helped mm. each other, and I was free to go out and do what I love. So I have, mm. since I did that, basically I research, write, travel, teach today. The rest of it's all taken care of by teams around me, and I don't have mm. to do anything but basically research, write, travel, teach. I don't want to go and do administrative things. I don't want to do stocking and things of those natures. Mm because I could be earning way more doing what I do with my specialized knowledge, and they can do what they do with their specialized
1: knowledge. Mm. Yes, absolutely, and, and everybody just does what, I, what, what everyone uh, loves doing it. You, you're also talking about taking accountability and actually measuring um, the success. Why taking accountability and measuring success is critical?
3: Well, if you don't have some sort of measurement, you don't have accountability, and you don't have feedback mm. on how to refine things.
1: Mm-hmm. And how to make
3: it more effective and efficient on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. metricing is really a sign when people, if you go to somebody who's not engaged and doesn't love their job and you ask them to metric them and measure with their results, they're resistant to it. They don't want to show it because they know they're not producing. But people mm-hmm. that are producing and love what they're doing love to show you the results. They love to show you what they're accomplishing. So if you're not if you're resisting metrics, it's because you know you're pursuing something that's bull that's not really true for you. But if you mm. love metrics, people love metricing the accomplishments of what they set out for that's true. So I mm. use metrics as a feedback and a refinement process and also as a way of measuring, hey, well, I've achieved this. This is accomplishment, documenting it.
1: Dr. Martini, we are nearly uh, towards the end. I really would like to um, say that I really appreciate having you on my show today. I, I really um, have the gratitude today talking to you because I know how busy you are and uh, thank you so, so much for being on the Global Workplace radio show. Um, Before I go, I just would like to uh, say a quote. Uh, Normally, uh, I say the quote of other people, but today, Dr. Martini, I would like to say one of your quotes, which is, I love showing people how to be resourceful in their perceptions and actions then no matter what happens in their lives, there is something they can do to achieve something extraordinary from it. Dr. John DiMartini, thank you so, so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate
3: that. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and uh, thank you for caring enough to ask the questions that you had and go through in advance and think them through, and and also what you do by making a difference in all the people who are listening in. And whoever's listening out there, I I just want to say that You want to give yourself permission to do something extraordinary on planet Earth and know Mm. that uh, you have a mission in the world, something you can dedicate your life to. And having a cause Mm. greater than yourself allows you to extract out of yourself the greatness you have within yourself.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much, Dr. Dr. Dimartini. Until next time, um, have a fabulous week, everyone, uh, and stay healthy, happy, and safe. This is Alma Besedin, your host at The Global Workplace.
0: Thank you for making us a part of your week. Please join Alma Bessert for another edition of The Global Workplace next Tuesday at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week.